Widely regarded as one of the most haunted places in the country, a priest once described tonight's location as the embodiment of evil. The primary purpose of this building throughout the majority of its 800 year history has been to kill. These ancient stone walls have borne witness to untold horrors throughout the centuries, so it's little wonder that this castle is reputed to be so active. Tonight, join me as together we will dare to explore the infamous Chillingham Castle. Welcome to episode 3 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week, we head to Northumberland and ask the question, just how haunted is Chillingham Castle? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. Chillingham Castle began life as a tower in the 12th century, established by de Grey, a nobleman from Normandy. In 1344, Chillingham Tower was granted the royal licence to crenellate. This licence allowed the tower to become fortified. The tower was strengthened and a stone wall was built to protect it further. Chillingham Tower became Chillingham Castle. The castle was constantly subject to attacks during the Border Wars, but never fell. Over the years, the castle was rebuilt and strengthened even further, and in 1590, 
the main entrance of the castle was moved to the north wall, where it is still found today. In the 18th and 19th century, further changes were made by the Grey family, but these were more cosmetic. An Italian-style garden was designed, and a central staircase was built from the courtyard leading up to the Great Hall. Due to the expensive running costs, the Grey family abandoned the castle in 1933 and moved into a house close to the village of Chillingham. Chillingham Castle was left unoccupied and began to decay, as rats and all manner of other wildlife moved in and made it home. In more recent years, Sir Humphrey Wakefield and the Honourable Lady Wakefield took over the entire estate and the enormous task of restoring the castle to its former glory. Lady Wakefield is a direct descendant of Lady Mary Grey, ensuring that the castle is once again occupied by the Grey family, as it has been now for almost 800 years. Chillingham Castle has seen more than its fair share of bloodshed. The castle's torturer during the Border Wars is said to have been a man called John Sage, and he ensured that this was the case. Before Sage was the castle torturer, he was one of King Edward Longshank's best men on the battlefield. He had worked his way up to the rank of lieutenant. However, Sage was injured one day while in battle. A Scot forced a spear through his leg, and he simply couldn't fight anymore. From that day forth, he dragged his injured leg behind him, earning him the nickname of Dragfoot. John Sage begged Longshanks to keep him on in some capacity so he could serve his country, and he was handed the role of Castle Torturer. Sage was a brutal man. He hated the Scottish, and he revelled in the role, even designing some devices of his own. He utilised a boiling pot, gadgets for gouging eyes out, barrels full of spikes that would have had a prisoner tied inside and rolled around until the flesh was ripped from their body and they died in agony from the loss of blood. There are cages that would have been attached to a prisoner's stomach and a starved rat would have been placed inside. The only way for the rat to get out of the cage was to eat his way through the victim. <coughs> These truly were savage times and the punishment the prisoners ensured at the hands of John Sage is unimaginable. He tortured upwards of 50 people a week for the three years he held down this job. The only threat to Sage's position over these three years were times of peace, where there were no prisoners and there was no longer a need for a castle torturer. On one such occasion, Edward Longshanks ordered that all the prisoners being held in the castle should be released. If John Sage obeyed this order and released the Scottish prisoners, he knew it was only a matter of time before a prisoner he had tortured and then released would track him down to extract revenge, or a young Scot may seek to avenge the death of their relatives at the hand of Sage. So prior to releasing the prisoners, he went around all the local towns and villages and told people that the Scottish were being released from the castle at a specific time. Although the war was over, for now. These locals had suffered badly from Scottish attacks due to being so close to the border. So a mob of over a thousand of them, armed with whatever weapons they could lay their hands on, made their way to the castle on the day of the Scottish release and they waded in the trees and bushes along the long pathway leading to the castle known as the Devil's Walk. The prisoners were released, but the ecstasy of freedom turned to horror as the Scots, some only infants, were literally hacked to pieces by the angry locals. Peace didn't last long and war broke out once again, so John Sage went back to what he did best, torturing, 
maiming and killing prisoners. However, once again, peace was quickly restored and the war ended. Sage was once again told to release all the prisoners. He agreed, but he had absolutely no intention in releasing a single one of them. He rounded up all the small children and took them to a room at the top of the castle called the Edward Room, also known these days as the Killing Room. He then lit a fire in the centre of the courtyard and took all of the older children, the men and the women, and put them one by one onto the fire while they were still alive. The smell of burning flesh filled the castle grounds and the screams of the burning prisoners slowly gave way to silence as the last of them died in agony. Satisfied that the prisoners were disposed of, he walked the stone staircase back up to the Edward Room, where the terrified children, some only babies, waited, oblivious of what was to become of them. Sage picked up an axe and killed every last one of them in that very room. He hacked and he slashed until the room was a mass of body parts and he was bathed in their blood. John Sage's very own torture rack proved to be his undoing. Sage had a girlfriend, Elizabeth Charlton, and one night they were having sex on the rack when he started to strangle Elizabeth to heighten her sexual pleasure. Unfortunately, he took it too far and killed her. He now had a problem, a big problem. Elizabeth Charlton was the daughter of the leader of the Charltons, one of the Border Riva clans. They were not to be messed with, and they wanted Sage dead. They told King Edward Longshanks that if Sage wasn't put to death, they would ally with the Scots and launch an attack on the castle. The Scots fighting alongside the Border Reavers would prove a formidable enemy, and Edward Longshanks was virtually penniless after fighting the Scottish. He had no choice but to call for Sage to be hung. John Sage was brought out to be executed in front of a huge crowd. He was hung from a tree along the Devil's Walk, and as he dangled by his neck, still alive, the crowd started to take souvenirs. Cutting off John Sage's toes, fingers, testicles, even his nose, they literally cut him to pieces as he hung, although not yet dead. Once Sage had died, his body was dismembered and he was buried at a crossroads so that he wouldn't be able to find his way to heaven and therefore would have to take the road to hell. ghost of John Sage is said to wander Chillingham Castle, and many people have claimed to see him along the Devil's Walk or in the Edward Room. Others have heard footsteps, followed by the sound of someone dragging something, John Sage dragging his lame leg. The list of ghosts said to haunt Chillingham Castle makes impressive reading, and the castle Trudy Carnstake claimed to be in the most haunted castle in Britain, possibly the world. 
Every room in the castle has at least one ghost story connected to it. The Edward Room, in the most ancient tower of the castle, is said to be the most active. Named after King Edward I, who visited Chillingham Castle in 1298, the room is haunted by many ghosts, including the malevolent spirit of John Sage. It is common for the heavy chandelier to swing around from the ceiling on its own. The room has a high balcony running all the way around it, and dark shadows are seen moving swiftly around this balcony. There is a small dungeon room here called the Oubliette. Oubliette is a French word literally meaning to forget. Prisoners and unwelcome guests would be placed here if it was considered that there was to be nothing to gain from torturing them. This would mostly be children. They would be chained to the wall, never to see the light of day again. The prisoner would have their arms and legs broken before being thrown down a hole into the oubliette, 20 foot below. It is here they would die, either from starvation or due to infection from the injuries they sustained. Sometimes prisoners would start to eat chunks of flesh from their own bodies in a vain attempt to prolong their life, or even eat the dead lying around them. If you look down the grate covering the oubliette today, you can still see the skeletal remains of a 12-year-old girl looking back up at you. These are the remains of the last person to be killed here. There are marks on the wall of the dungeon where prisoners have counted how many days they were in there or scratch their initials. It's not uncommon for people to pick up on emotions in this room. They have also been wails and groans heard coming up from the empty pit below where so many lost their lives. The Great Hall was constructed in Tudor times between two fortified towers and has an ancient medieval atmosphere. At one end of the room hangs a huge tapestry and it is in this area that a lot of strange phenomena has been experienced. Cold spots are common, and unusual noises being heard. From the courtyard, figures are often seen passing the windows of the Great Hall when nobody is actually there. On the balcony, known as the Minstrel's Gallery, people have been pushed down the stairs, and while on this balcony, people often suffer from terrible headaches, or an awful feeling of nausea, to the point where they feel like throwing themselves over the top and down under the concrete floor below. The castle's most famous ghost is the Blue Boy, also known as the Radiant Boy, who haunts the Pink Room. His cries and moans were often heard around midnight, the ghostly sighting of this young boy bathed in blue light. In the 1920s, the body of a young boy was found walled up in here, along with some blue cloth left from his clothing. He'd been walled up alive. The bones of his fingers were worn away where he'd desperately been trying to claw his way out. He was given a burial in consecrated ground and his spirit finally found peace. The moans and sightings ceased. Or did they? Visitors to the pink room in more recent years have experienced a bright blue flash in the room which looks like it could be caused from an electrical fault in the wall. However. This is the wall where the Blue Boy's remains were found, and there are no power cables running through that section of wall. It seems like the spirit of the Blue Boy may remain at Chillingham Castle to this very day. Three human skeletons were found in the chapel. Two of them were found under the floor near the stained glass window, and the other, that of a little girl, was found beneath the floorboards in the rear corner of the room.
No one knows the identity of these three unfortunate souls and how they met their end. The spirit of the little girl likes to interact with people, and in particular likes to make her presence known to female visitors. People have stood in the very spot where her remains are found, oblivious to the fact that she was ever here, and have been overcome with grief. Some have even wept uncontrollably. Lady Mary Burghley is another well-known ghost of the castle. She lived a lonely life after her husband left her and their young daughter and ran away with her sister, Lady Henrietta, during the reign of Charles II. She was left alone in the castle with only a small child for company, and to this day the rustle of her dress is heard and a chill is felt as she walks the corridor and the stairs searching for her husband. In the 1920s there was a portrait of Lady Mary Burghley in the nursery, and family and staff were all aware of the lady stepping out of the painting and walking the castle after dark. The painting was later sold, but her tragic spirit remains. Angela Chatterton of the paranormal group The Grey Ladies spent a night at Chillingham Castle on the perfect night for any paranormal experiences, Halloween. When I was researching my first book, Ghostly Northumberland, Angela told me that they'd experienced a number of unusual happenings, including hearing a rustling noise coming from one end of the Great Hall where there was nobody there. In the early hours of the morning, they heard a definite groaning sound, as well as a number of short flashes of light. They also found that tea lights had moved by themselves in the room that they had booked for the night, the tower apartment. Angela is left with no doubt that Chillingham Castle is haunted, as she told me. Our conclusion was that if you happen to be in the right place at the right time, it doesn't matter if it's Halloween night or not, strange things will happen to you at Chillingham. The ghosts of Chillingham Castle aren't confined to the castle itself. The grounds of the castle has its fair share of spirits. A phantom funeral procession has been seen on several occasions in the garden area. A headless man has been seen wandering the gardens and is more commonly seen during daylight hours. The beautiful lake was used as a dumping ground for the dead prisoners from the castle. Legend has it that the lake is cursed. If you put your hand into the water, the souls of the dead will pull you under and you will never surface again. Odd noises are heard here late at night and at least one apparition has been seen walking from the lake. Chillingham is arguably more famous for its wild cattle than its castle. Yet even the cattle, one of Northumberland's most popular tourist attractions, have a fascinating legend attached to them. Chillingham's wild cattle origins aren't clear. However, it's generally accepted that they've been based at Chillingham since the mid-1200s. It is likely that they were taken from a large number of cattle that roamed in the wild and fenced in to ensure a regular supply of meat to the castle. These are the only pure wild cattle in the entire world. They are occasionally referred to as fairy cattle due to Celtic folklore linking white animals with red ears to the supernatural. It is said that the wild cattle at Chillingham are protected by fairies and if anyone tries to harm them the fairies will intervene. In 1967 a young boy on a school trip chased some of the cattle and as he ran he felt unseen hands grab his foot and he fell and broke his ankle. Coming up next, 
Way back in 2005, I spent a bitterly cold December night investigating Chillingham Castle, and I experienced unquestionably the most convincing proof I've ever had for the existence of ghosts. Find out more next on How Haunted. On the 10th of December 2005, I led a team to Chillingham Castle for a ghost hunt, which would provide an occurrence which would stagger and terrify us in equal measure while making me reconsider my entire belief system. That night, I was joined by my younger brother Tom and my good friends Dan Armstrong, Ryan Elwell and Brian Moore, as the five of us dared to take on one of the scariest places on earth. Chillingham Castle is reputed to be one of the most haunted places anywhere in the world. Some dreadful things happened here so long ago, and ever since, many inexplicable things have happened. I've wanted to visit the castle at night since my first daytime visit three years earlier in 2002, and as we neared the castle, I couldn't decide if the feelings I had were excitement or anxiety. What would the castle have in store for us tonight? Whatever happens, I was sure that we were in for one hell of a night. We arrived just after 10pm at the castle's east gate on a bitterly cold December night. I entered the passcode I'd been given and the huge black metal gates with a large bat in the centre of them slowly opened. I drove up the narrow tree-lined track known as the Devil's Walk and after only a couple of minutes I was parked outside the front of the castle. I thought Chillingham Castle was a formidable sight in daylight, but at night it was a completely different prospect. For the others, this was their first ever sight of Chillingham, and they all found it as awesome as I did. We walked up the steps towards a huge wooden door, flaming torches lit either side, and as I was about to knock, it swung open, and we were welcomed by a man called Bob. We entered the castle, and there were handshakes and introductions all round. It was evident that Bob had been in the middle of putting up a Christmas tree when we'd arrived. He showed us to the room used as a cafe during the day, which would be our base for the duration of our visit. As we put down our bags, Bob approached me and he said, I speak to them, you know. I turned around, sorry, I asked. The dead, they talk to me. If you want me to help you, just give me a shout. Okay, Bob. I didn't take him up on his kind offer at this point in time. I personally have a complicated relationship with the whole world of psychics, especially those I've never met before. Because if somebody's to stand in front of you and say there's a ghost with us now, unless they can prove that that is the case, how can you possibly know that what they're saying is the truth, regardless of whether they believe it or not? 
Bob explained that we could go anywhere in the castle we wanted, with the exception of the private apartments. With that, he wished us luck, and it was time for our ghost hunt to begin. This place is horrible, said Brian. What do you mean, I asked. Just look around. This place screams ghosts. He's right, it does. Our first port of call was the torture chamber. Christ, I heard Ryan exclaim under his breath as we walked through the door. And who can blame him when you look around this horrendous room of death? Just look at the photos over on the Instagram at How Haunted Pod. There are boiling pots with a grate over the top to stop people getting out while they're being boiled alive. An Iron Maiden. All manner of devices designed to inflict pain, maim, torture and kill. The floor isn't level, said Dan. Oh yeah, I responded, that's so that the blood would run to one side of the room, making it easier to clean up. Christ, Ryan muttered again. We spread out around the room, and I asked aloud for anybody with us to let their presence be known. To make a sound, touch one of us, or even show themselves. All was quiet, we took lots of photos hoping to capture something that we couldn't see with our naked eyes. We would continue our investigation in the Great Hall, then the chapel with no joy whatsoever, before entering the King Edward room. This room in particular promised so much, as before we'd arrived, Bob had been conducting a ghost walk and told us that there'd been strange noises heard in here while the group were there, as well as this, a shadowy figure was seen moving around the top of the room. Unfortunately for us though, the King Edward room just didn't deliver. We didn't experience anything. Before leaving the room, I left a neat stack of 1p pieces on a piece of paper. Then the stack drawn around on the paper as a trigger object to see if they'd move or fall while we were elsewhere in the castle. We chatted excitedly as we head back to base for a hot drink and to gather our thoughts. I had expected Chillingham Castle to produce so much, and so far we'd had nothing. I looked through some of the photos on my camera and we definitely had caught some strange anomalies as I'd been taking photos throughout the first 90 minutes of our night. Some of these photos are on the Instagram for you to look at now. Out in the courtyard, we decided that we would next head to the Oubliette, another room I had high hopes for. I just saw somebody walk past that window, said Dan pointing to the window just to the right of the staircase leading up to the Great Hall. No one else had seen it, but Dan was adamant about what he had seen. It couldn't have been another person in the Great Hall because everybody in the castle was accounted for. So what could it have been? The Oubliette could wait. We made for the Great Hall to see if we could find out who or what Dan had seen. Upon entering the Great Hall, the atmosphere somehow seemed different, more oppressive. I've just seen someone, Brian said, his eyes wide with fear. He pointed to the corner of the room next to where an enormous tapestry hangs. Brian felt that someone or something was in that corner of the room, and when he turned to look, he saw somebody out the corner of his eye. My mind was taken back to an American TV show called Scariest Places on Earth by the Fox Network. An American family had been put in the castle overnight, and the family's son suddenly quit while in the Great Hall. He later revealed that he saw a large black shadow close around him. Then he clearly saw two ghostly eyes millimetres away from his own staring right at him. The TV programme played around with the footage and once they'd removed all of the colour from this particular frame, you could clearly see a large black shadow 
standing right in front of him. He had to have seven months of counselling to get over his experience. As much as I hoped for us to see something, I didn't want anything like that to happen to any of my friends. Did he hear that? asked Tom. He had heard what he thought was the sound of somebody talking outside. The window he was pointing at is at the back of the castle, out into the castle gardens. We knew the only people here were us and Bob, so there couldn't have been anybody there. I walked over to the window to look outside, but it was too dark to see anything at all. Everything was just different shades of black. Speaking of how dark it was, I noticed that the Great Hall seemed darker than it had been when we'd first entered. Although it's dark by 4pm in the northeast this time of year, so it shouldn't really be possible for it to get any darker than it had been. We headed into the chapel next and sat in the darkness. Bob had earlier told us that children haunt the chapel. They mean no harm and simply like to run and play. A lot of young children lost their lives in this very castle in some brutal ways. We sat quietly in the darkness. Is there anyone there? asked Brian. Dan said that his right hand side was freezing cold. I was sat next to him. I touched the left side of his face and it was like ice. His right side however was a lot warmer. Can you do something else? Make a noise. Can you affect Dan in a different way? Brian asked. Nothing. Despite this teaser we wouldn't experience anything else in the chapel. For now. Next was Ubliet, a tiny room, not even big enough for us all to be in at the same time, and six foot three Tom had a nightmare with the really low ceiling. Prisoners who weren't worth torturing will have met their end here, mostly young children. Arms and legs broken, then thrown down the hall twenty feet to the stone floor below. I shone my torch down the grate to the floor below. The skeletal remains of the last young girl to die here, staring back up at us. It's incredibly eerie in this room during the day, let alone at night. It seemed peaceful, too peaceful, and once again, nothing happened. So far we'd had little taste as of what the castle had to offer, but I'd hoped for so much more. I was about to get my wish. We headed through the Great Hall to the winding staircase leading to the King Edward room. Dan and I were at the back. All of the others were already in the room. It was then I heard footsteps behind us. We stopped. The footsteps I could hear didn't. The footsteps behind us stopped shortly afterwards. I raced back down the stairs, but there was no one there. Shortly afterwards, we joined the others in the King Edward room. As soon as I sat down I felt dizzy and sick. I had a strong feeling, and I really don't know why, that somebody was stood right in front of me. I couldn't see anything, but I felt really sick and I just wanted to get out of there. I didn't. I stayed put. Brian asked out again, Is there anyone there? Can you do something? Can you make something move or make a noise? Everyone suddenly realised a dramatic temperature drop and the room seemed to be getting darker, second by second, as if it was closing in all around us. We all knew something was here, but this was all we got. Try as we might, nothing else happened. With the time ticking away, I suggested we bring out our secret weapon. I called for Bob. As I said earlier, I'm very sceptical of mediums, especially when I don't know them at all. 
Working with a medium, you're essentially asked to believe every word they say, no matter how wild the claim. You'd never do that with anybody else in any other walk of life. So why do this when you're working with somebody who says they can communicate with spirit? However, we'd had very little luck so far, so I felt that we had nothing to lose. Bob came out into the courtyard, and we had a chat about which rooms we would focus on for the last hour and a half of our investigation. We're being watched, said Bob. He pointed to a window two floors up in Sir Humphrey Wakefield's private area of the castle. He said there was a figure standing at the window staring at us. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I couldn't see anything, but the thought of being watched chilled me to my core. I'm sure you've had feelings like me of being watched when you don't quite understand why. And not long before Bob had spoke, I'd actually felt as though somebody was looking at us from one of the windows. We couldn't see anything, so with time running out we decided to go back to the King Edward room where Bob had earlier told us that there'd been definite activity before our arrival. As we entered the room I checked on my pennies, but they hadn't moved. The team and I sat down and Bob paced the room. There's a man at the back of the room walking back and forth, he said, and he stopped pacing. He's a spirit I've never seen before in the castle. He's around my height at six foot, slim, he's got a black beret on, and he's wearing a black gown with ruffles and a goatee beard. He is not happy that you five are here. Two of you are very sceptical, and that's why he's not happy at all, I think, Bob continued. He's pacing back and forth, and he is not happy at all. Unbeknown to Bob, two of our party are very sceptical. Tom and Ryan are both incredibly sceptical when it comes to anything paranormal. It's very difficult to prove anything to them, and that's part of the beauty of having them along, because they won't say they've seen something when they haven't. Also, if they hear a bang, or see something, or feel something, they'll rationalise before suggesting anything otherworldly. Bob also said that there were three soldiers standing on the balcony around the top of the room. One of them was trying to convince the other two that we were here. He said it's a lot like if I saw a ghost, and was trying to persuade two of my friends that it was there. Bob continued to tell us more about the pacing ghost with the goatee beard, and the soldiers. Can you ask them to do something so that we know they're there, Tom asked. Oh, they've just disappeared, said Bob. Typical ghosts. It was disappointing that nothing happened, but it was fascinating to imagine that these spirits may have been in the room with us, although we only had Bob's word for it. Have you seen John Sage? asked Brian. Bob told us that Sage is one of the more malevolent spirits in the castle. Sage and a ghost called Fabian are the two really nasty ones. Bob said that he felt he was being drawn to the chapel. We left the King Edward room for what will prove to be the last time, and we headed to the Great Hall, which we would have to walk through to get to the chapel. Is there something in the corner of the room? Brian asked, pointing to the same corner he'd seen something earlier. Brian said that he'd seen something again as he walked into the Great Hall this time. There is something in that corner, said Bob. This is a very busy room at the moment. There are four adults here right now and two children. Despite this, we didn't stay in the Great Hall long as Bob said that he felt we should really move into the chapel. We entered the chapel, which is just off the Great Hall, and the five of us sat down in the pews as Bob stood up. There are children here, Bob said. He continued to tell us that there were two brothers playing in the room. George, who was six, and Sebastian, who was nine. They both died at the castle at the hands of John Sage. 
and they play in here a lot. Bob also said that his spirit guide, a young girl called Helena, was present. There is a spirit in the castle that doesn't belong here, suddenly declared Bob. He explained that one of us had brought a spirit into the castle with us, a deceased relative who watches over one of us as a guardian angel. He said that he thought it was a great-grandmother on his mother's side. We were all on the edge of our seat, hanging on his every word, eager to hear more. He pointed to Dan. It's you. He said that Dan's great-grandmother was watching over him, and her name was something like Ethel or Enid. Something along those lines, something short beginning with the letter E. He explained that Dan is desperate to be convinced that spirit does exist and that he has some kind of psychic ability he could unlock if he continues to look for spirit. Perhaps this explains why something was making Dan cold in the chapel earlier. Perhaps to get his attention. By now it was just after 2.30am, just as I stood up to tell Bob we had to leave for the journey home, he walked over to a heavy curtain that separates the chapel from the minstrel's gallery, a balcony which overlooks the coffee room which we were using as our base. Eric? Bob asked as he popped his head around the curtain. He asked for Eric to do his party trick, and we all watched on and showed what we were looking for. He said that Eric is a 12 or 13 year old boy who tragically doesn't understand that he's dead. He walks the castle looking for his parents, who were tortured and killed here. He is a playful young boy who likes to have a bit of fun around the castle and show off. Come on Eric, pleaded Bob. This curtain was very thick and very heavy and it was hanging completely still. What was to happen next is without a shadow of a doubt the most inexplicable thing I've ever seen to this very day. The curtain suddenly slowly moved as if two hands on the other side of the curtain were pushing it into the room towards us. It would move a little bit, then it would stop, then it would move further. It reached a point where the curtain was hanging off the ground in the room towards us as if somebody was on the other side holding it in place. It stayed perfectly still, then it moved back slowly until it was level again. Then it happened again, just as slowly as it had done the first time, slowly, with purpose, as if somebody was controlling the curtain, it certainly wasn't a breeze. This continued several times, and each time I could see behind the curtain and there was nobody there. Everybody in the castle was accounted for, us and Bob were all in that room. Bob asked for Eric to do it again, and he didn't. It stopped as suddenly as it began. I was gobsmacked, as were we all. I can't think of a single explanation for what I'd seen except that there really was something or someone moving that curtain to show us that they were there. It also proved that Bob really did seem to be communicating with somebody on the other side. He told us what was going to happen, and it happened. This rocked my belief system, because if what Bob was saying now was true, what about the pacing man in the Edward room and the soldiers? What about the six spirits he'd seen in the Great Hall? What about John Sage and Fabian and all of the other ghosts that he'd seen throughout the castle? Was he really seeing them as well? Everyone was convinced. As I said earlier, Tom and Ryan are the most hardened of sceptics, and they had no explanation for what had happened. At 3am, we thanked Bob for an unforgettable evening and we headed home. 
What a night. It took a while to get going, but we all had an incredible time. I didn't see a ghost. However, Brian saw something on his very first investigation, and Dan saw something walk past a window. We felt temperature changes, I felt sick, and heard footsteps on my way to the King Edward room. Bob told Dan about a relative who'd passed away many years ago and was looking after him. He said it was a short name beginning with E. Dan asked his mother the very next day, and Dan's mother's mother's mother was called Isabel, but everyone called her Bella. I'm not sure how Bob gets information from spirits, but was it possible that he was being told Bella, but heard it as Ella? The most amazing thing I've ever seen on any of the investigations I'd been on up until this point was without doubt the very heavy curtain being moved, with purpose, by unseen hands. There's no way it could have been a breeze. To this day, I cannot explain why that happened. This happened in 2005, and I still think about that night to this day, and wonder, was I really in the presence of a ghost? What a night we all had and I would return there to spend another night at Chillingham Castle in January 2015 and dare to challenge the castle once again. To find out how that night went, complete with audio from the investigation itself so you can hear it as it happened, check out my Patreon as that episode will, initially, be available exclusively for my Patreon supporters. Thank you for joining me once again. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to Chillingham Castle including from the investigations there. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com Feedback, location suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you can join me on an actual paranormal investigation, such as the one at Chillingham Castle, and you'll hear the audio as it happened. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would like to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoys the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. I have a copy of my book Ghosts of Edinburgh up for grabs. If you'd like to enter, all you need to do is leave How Haunted a podcast review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. Then drop me an email at rob at how-haunted.com to let me know. The competition will end on Halloween 2022 and the winner will be announced on Twitter and the first podcast episode after the closing date. Next time out we will head to a royal property in England's capital city drenched in history and home to not only the crown jewels but at least 13 ghosts, including Guy Fawkes, Henry VI, and a terrifying entity known as the Nameless Thing. We will find out all there is to know about this historic fortress together next week when we take a look at the Tower of London. Thank you so much for accompanying me on our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, 
and join me next time where we will once again ask the question, how haunted?